What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. It's Monday, February 7th. I'm Gideon Resnick. And I'm Josie Duffy Rice. And this is What A Day, where everything we scripted for today was ripped up by former President Donald Trump. Yes, this man never met a piece of paper that he did not rip. It is actually insane. In his defense, we did print out our only copy and express mailed it to Mar-a-Lago. Whoops. (laughs) On today's show, protests in Minneapolis follow the police shooting of Amir Locke. Plus, Southwest is about to start pouring it up again on flights. But first, on Friday, the North Carolina Supreme Court ruled that Republican-drawn congressional and state legislative maps constituted partisan gerrymanders that violate the state's constitution. The proposed maps had basically granted Republicans control of at least 10 of the 14 House seats in North Carolina, despite the fact that the state is often one of the closest in presidential contests and voters are effectively split 50-50 across the state. Per Friday's ruling, the legislature will now be required to draw new maps and submit them to a lower court within two weeks. This is just the latest example of courts recently acting as a line of defense against attempts at egregious partisan gerrymanders. A similar situation played out in Ohio last month and in Alabama. Federal judges said that a proposed Republican-drawn map needed to be redrawn because only one of the state's congressional districts had a majority of Black voters. Alabama has since appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah, and during this round of redrawing, the new maps have created less competitive districts by far, which for innumerable reasons makes our democracy even less functional. If your reelection is effectively guaranteed, how can you ever be accountable to your constituents, for example? To put a number to it, of the 269 congressional districts whose maps have been completed so far, there are just 13 that are considered toss-ups at the moment. That's according to the Cook Political Report. 13. It's crazy. Republicans control the process for far more districts than Democrats across the country. And in places like Texas, it's evident how the map making is simply entrenching their power. As Bloomberg notes, in 2020, there were 10 congressional districts in Texas where the margin between Biden and Trump was within four points. The new map only has one of those. Mm. And that is a state, of course, that has experienced tremendous population growth in the last census, growth that was specifically among non-white citizens. Meanwhile, Democrats approved a new map in New York last week that gives them an opportunity to flip three traditionally red House seats, including one newly drawn district that incorporates Staten Island and Park Slope, which if you have read or seen anything about New York, you know is a little bit weird. For those who are uninitiated, Staten Island is where you could easily still find MAGA stickers, and Park Slope is where you could still easily find Persist stickers, (laughs) if you catch uh, my drift on the political differences. They're also separated by water. For more on this entire process, (laughs) what comes next and what it all is going to mean, I spoke with Michael Lee again. 
He is the senior counsel for the Brennan Center's Democracy Program. I should note that we spoke before the ruling from North Carolina Supreme Court came down, and he began here by talking about the case pertaining to Alabama's map and what it would do for the future of gerrymandering. So the Alabama case, you know, so a little bit of background, uh, court in Alabama struck down that state's congressional maps because it only had one black majority district. And mm-hmm. the court said really that under the Voting Rights Act, there should be two black majority districts. You know, the, the black population in Alabama is about 27 percent. Two districts would mean that 28 percent of the districts were black majority districts. And it's fairly easy to do in Alabama to draw that. But Alabama has challenged that saying you really can't draw a second black majority district and comply with all of the traditional rules that the state uses. Mm. But what Alabama really is arguing is that state laws in some ways can trump the requirements of the Voting Rights Act. Mm. And they're asking the court to reinterpret how you apply the Voting Rights Act. And if that happens, then you won't really have liability under the Voting Rights Act in very many instances. You know, mm. what ba- Alabama is basically saying, but you can't deliberately set out to see whether you could draw a second black district because that would be mean that you're thinking about race and we're supposed to be a colorblind society, mm. so how can you dare think about race? And so I think when you look at that in connection with also the affirmative action case, which the Supreme Court has agreed to right. hear next term, I mean, there's a lot of, I think, worry the Supreme Court wants a lot less use of race in society, you know, both in redistricting and writ large. Yeah, and to that point, do you have any sort of sense of what the decision could be? The first thing the court has been asked to do is to block the redrawing of Alabama's congressional map. When the court struck the map down on, the lower court struck it down on January 24th, it gave the state 14 days to come up with a with a new map. And if the state doesn't, then special masters will draw the map. So that has been fully briefed. Now we are expecting a decision from the Supreme Court any day now. But mm. you know that'll be a big signal of what the Supreme Court wants to do on the Voting Rights Act, whether they think that there's something there. If the Voting Rights Act doesn't apply to Alabama and black voters in Alabama with all of the discrimination of the state, you know, all of the barriers that black voters face in Alabama, it doesn't really apply anywhere, right? I right. Mean, that's the reality. And so if the Supreme Court takes this case, I think it'll be a big signal that the Supreme Court wants to carve back further on the Voting Rights Act. And we should know soon whether that's a danger or not. Right. According to the 2020 census, the white population has shrunk over the past decade as minority communities have swelled. The huge growth of black and Latino populations really is not reflected in any of the new maps that we've seen so far. To go back to the comment that you had about Alabama, black Alabamans represent more than a quarter of the state's population. They only control about 14% of the state's congressional delegation. So can you talk a little bit more in depth about how that is going to disenfranchise minority voters? People of color provided almost all of the country's population growth last decade, and that's both in slow-growing states, and but especially in fast-growing states like Texas, where people of color were 95% of the state's population growth. And really, what you're seeing in states like Texas and Georgia and North Carolina is that lawmakers are not creating any new opportunities for communities of color at all, and mm-hmm. instead, in many cases, they're going backwards. Um, you know, in Texas, they actively dismantled several, you know, naturally emerging coalition districts in the suburbs of places like Houston and Dallas that are very diverse and where communities of color really were seeing that they were just on the edge of breaking through and winning power. People said, you know what, we're going to take that away from you. We're going to like carve you up and then add in a bunch of rural white voters and we're going to secure our power for another decade. And that is really what is happening. The good news is that, you know, at least in states where you have commissions, you know, they seem to be doing a much better job. So Mm -hmm. California, the commission, you know, drew more Latino opportunity seats, more Asian opportunity seats, because they they sort of like drew maps that sort of reflect the demographic changes that are occurring in California. Right. And, you know, that's night and day from a, a state like Texas. Right. 
I want to switch gears for a second here. So according to new data that was published by the Cook Political Report, for the first time ever, Democrats are making pretty significant moves in redistricting and are making favorable moves, in fact, in states like New York and Pennsylvania. In reference to New York's new map, which is certainly interesting, you said, quote, it's a masterclass in how to draw an effective gerrymander. So what do you make of all this? Um, Well, Democrats certainly have been more aggressive this cycle, although I think, you know, in fairness, more of the credit for like the cycle not ending up to be a total disaster has to do with independent commissions and the fact that courts are drawing maps in states like Virginia, um, which are very fair. But, you know, Democrats certainly are aggressive in gerrymandering. They sometimes do it sloppily. You know, I think many people have said the map in Illinois, for example, is so aggressive that, you know, it could backfire on Democrats. You Mm -hmm. know, it wouldn't take much of a good Republican year for Democratic seats to flip because they're so thinly Democratic. Um, And in order to get as many seats, Democrats sort of like spread their voters out really thin. Um, New York seems a little bit more artfully and strategically drawn. There's still some vulnerability there. In the parties this cycle really have had two different redistricting strategies. You know, Republicans have drawn these fortress-type districts in Texas. The number of districts that Donald Trump won by 15 or more points goes from 11 to 21 under the new map. So wow. it almost doubles. Right. And so and Republicans only have 24 seats in Texas. So 88% of the seats, Republican seats in Texas, are super Trump districts, right? right. Democrats didn't do anything like that in New York. You know, there are a bunch of districts that are like, Biden plus six or Biden plus seven, which is a pretty good Democratic district. But, you know, I think really what is happening this cycle, Democrats are being aggressive in part because they only control the drawing of 75 seats Mm -hmm. compared to 187 for Republicans. But also Democrats seem to feel a little bit more confident that their coalition of recent years will hold together. That coalition of people of color, young voters, women, suburban voters will hold together enough that, you know, these maps, you know, they can spread their voters out a little bit more and try to gain more seats. Republicans have been a little bit more scared of doing that because, I, you know, there's a lot of Republican bravado. We're going to win back the suburbs. We're going to win Latino voters. But they didn't draw maps like that, right? right. They drew maps like they're scared of the future. Is your sense that that is sort of a new norm that we are embarking onto here where, you know, Democrats have to be where they can a little bit more aggressive in how they're going about this business, just given, you know, the precedent that Republicans have set in a lot of places? The politics are a little bit different, and Democrats recognize that they have to play hardball. People are rethinking, like, what politics look like and recognizing that it is really very much a locality-based sort of assessment. And that has opened up new pathways to gaining additional Democratic opportunities. I want to close with this. Gerrymandering is a form of voter suppression, one of many that exists in the U.S. So how does all of this differ from the restrictive voting laws that states pass in 2021? Or how is that going to even potentially work in concert for the broader project of voter suppression? Well, I think they're really cousins. The voter suppression tried to sort of make it harder to vote, but nonetheless, you know, they're designed to suppress the vote enough and that can make a difference. I mean, there's a lot of debate nationally, like, well, this won't suppress like millions of votes. But, you know, at the same time, Donald Trump is not president of the United States because of 44,000 voters in Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin, right? I mean, right. you know, like it doesn't take a whole lot to have like a really big effect. And certainly these laws can have that big effect, and particularly for communities of color who we know sort of disadvantaged by them. But, you know, gerrymandering, on the other hand, is sort of like a, a nuclear bomb, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you run all those hurdles, even if you surmount all of them, you still are you know, at a disadvantage because the results have been sort of baked into the system. And Texas is a prime example. 21 of 24 
of Republican districts in Texas are Trump plus 15, right? You know, right. It's going to take a lot to overcome that, a lot of demographic change, a lot of political shift, which is not to say it can't happen, but, you know, like they've built themselves a pretty good insurance policy. And, you know, like for a state that is as dynamic and fast growing as Texas and as young, I mean, Texas is the second youngest state in the country. Like you just don't actually see any opportunities in Texas. So Texas goes from being one of the most interesting states electorally in terms of U.S. House elections to one of the least. And that's the effect of gerrymandering. We will, of course, be all over this story, but that's the latest for now. We'll be back after some ads. What a day is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She absolutely deserves the best. And that's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, your wife, your auntie, even your granny, okay? Anyone who deserves flowers in your life Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be holiday specific. You get flowers, you're getting flowers, everyone's (laughs) getting flowers. Go to books.com and use promo code WAD for 25% off. That is B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code WAD, books, promo code WAD. What a Day is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers. They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Plus, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. We love fast-growing trees here. I keep telling you that the many plants that I've gotten from these folks are yet hanging on. Um, And that's not because I have a green thumb, okay? This spring, fast-growing trees, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code WAD at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code WAD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Therapy is great for, you know, you know that thing that just is like sitting on your shoulder, you can't get over it, and you just sometimes need somebody to talk through it with? Therapy can be helpful for that, you all, okay? You got to get it off your chest, you know? And you can do that with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash WAD today to get 10% off your first month. That's 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash WAD. Let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. On Wednesday of last week, 22-year-old Amir Locke was killed by Minneapolis police after they entered his apartment during a no-knock raid. Members of the Minneapolis Police Department SWAT team entered the apartment where Locke was staying around 7 a.m. Though the police's initial statement was inconsistent with the body camera footage, this much is clear. Police did not announce themselves until after they had clearly entered the premises. 
They then approached Locke and kicked the couch where he was sleeping. Though police claimed that Locke pointed a gun at them, that is unclear from the body camera footage, which only shows Locke holding a gun that, according to his family and attorney, he legally owned. Locke's death comes almost two years after police in Louisville, Kentucky, shot and killed Breonna Taylor after waking her during a no-knock raid in March of 2020. It is also more blood on the hands of Minneapolis police officers, four of whom were responsible for the death of George Floyd. Over the weekend, hundreds of protesters marched in the streets of Minneapolis, demanding accountability in the killing of Locke. And on Friday, Mayor Jacob Fry implemented a moratorium on no-knock warrants, quote, until a new policy is crafted, stating that, quote, no matter what information comes to light, it won't change the fact that Amir Locke's life was cut short. Was cut short. That's one way of putting it. Yep. It's a big day for diplomacy with some of the most important players in the Ukrainian crisis set to meet and discuss how they can prevent a Russian invasion. President Biden will meet at the White House with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who some have criticized for failing to take a strong position alongside his NATO allies in this crucial moment. On the other side of the ocean, Russia's President Vladimir Putin is set to meet in Moscow with French President Emmanuel Macron. Macron has positioned himself as the diplomatic center of this crisis between an aggressive U.S. and a non-committal Germany and will seek to stop a Russian offensive and discuss Putin's grievances resulting from NATO expansion. Macron will also meet with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky in Kiev, who expressed over the weekend that he felt a diplomatic solution was more likely than a war. And as far as what's happening on the ground, U.S. intelligence estimates that Russia has amassed more than 100,000 troops and equipment on the border of Ukraine. Intelligence reports over the weekend said Russia could invade Ukraine within days. But for what it's worth, Russian officials have dismissed those reports. Ooh. The Olympics is known for its five rings, but its rating on Yelp is closer to two and a half stars. Yes, everyone, I went there. Uh, several athletes <laughs> at the Beijing Olympics have taken to social media to call out the poor living conditions for athletes in isolation, prompting sharp criticism of the International Olympic Committee, or IOC. Per China's policy, everyone in the, quote, Olympic bubble must take a PCR test daily, and those who test positive must isolate in a quarantine hotel until they are cleared for release. Athletes holed up in these hotels described cramped rooms, inedible meals, and little to no access to the internet or training equipment. An American bobsledder said that she only had a single weight plate to use, which actually got me thinking a little bit. Two rusted dumbbells covered in spiderwebs in my garage could be my ticket to the Olympics. I will be cheering you on the whole time. Thank you very much. <laughs> As soon as I get the spiderwebs off, we are good to go. Over 300 people have tested positive for COVID at the game so far, including athletes and other team officials. Christian Duby, the IOC's executive director, promised that the organization would do better and said that, quote, the issue has been addressed. The Beijing Organizing Committee also said yesterday that athletes in isolation will now be able to order food to be delivered to them, but it's unclear what they have done to address the other concerns. Tough. Very tough. Good news for fans of Tiny Little Bottles. Southwest Airlines announced that it would resume serving alcohol on its flights later this month. The airline took alcoholic beverages off their menu two years ago when the pandemic started, but is now joining Delta and United in resuming the service. The decision has drawn heavy criticism from TWU Local 556, the union representing the airline's flight attendants. Lynn Montgomery, the union's president, released a statement saying, quote, resuming the sales of alcohol while the mask mandate is in place has the great potential to increase customer noncompliance and misconduct issues. Montgomery is, of course, referring to the uptick in violence toward flight attendants over the course of the pandemic, primarily driven by enforcement of mask mandates. Southwest's new policy goes into effect on February 18th. We won't tell you what to do, but if you choose to order, ask yourself one question first. Will drinking this Bloody Mary end in me being forcibly duct taped 
to my seat? For too many people, the answer might be yes. And if it is for you, please reconsider your life choices. Or don't drink a Bloody Mary, you know? Maybe something else. Like a water, maybe? Yeah, a water would be fine. You have a long flight ahead. You can get dehydrated on them easily. Please don't make any more trouble for people that are working for you. It's enough. That's all I have to say. Those are the headlines. (laughs) That is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, cancel your reservation at the Olympic Quarantine Hotel, and tell your friends to listen. And if you are into reading and not just the tiny labels on tiny bottles of alcohol like me, (laughs) what it is, also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at cricket.com slash subscribe. I'm Josie Duffy-Rice. I'm Gideon Resnick. And join me in competing competing at at the the next Olympics. Olympics. I will be there. Yeah. Very into luge these days, you know? Luge is tight and scary. Luge is tight and terrifying. Yeah, it's a little too fast for my taste. What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Jazzy Marine and Raven Yamamoto are our associate producers. Our head writer is John Milstein with writing support from Jossie Kaufman. And our executive producers are Leo Duran and me, Gideon Resnick. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador.